Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome to Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Karen Peter, and we're sharing a series of interviews with all the authors of the year-long series of Herald Magazine articles exploring the guiding question, are we moving toward Jesus, the peaceful one? For those of you who are wondering about the Herald Magazine, it is the official Community of Christ publication that comes out every two months. You can find the Herald Magazine at heraldhouse.org under the tab Our Faith. For today's episode, we are visiting with Elray Henriksen. Elray is the co-founder of Co-Citizens, a local Belgian NGO working to alleviate poverty and facilitate cultural exchange in Brussels and the surrounding areas. Elray holds two master's degrees in peacebuilding and in communications. We'll see how well that plays out for you here today, Elray, with your communications degree. He's currently serving as a full-time volunteer for Community of Christ Europe, as lead member of the European Peace and Justice Team, and as the National Ministry Coordinator in Belgium. So, with all that said, hi, Elray. Hi, Karen. Hi. Pretty good. Um, Thank you so much for being with us today here at Project Zion Podcast. I read your article and very much uh, appreciated it and have been looking forward to visiting with you since reading it. So as we begin, your article is titled Jesus as Sanctuary. So as a starting point kind of for our discussion, can you tell us what you mean or define sanctuary for us? So I I do think that it was kind of a initially a play on the the word Jesus as refugee, the twin article of this uh this particular uh series towards the peaceful one. And uh because we initially said Jesus as refugee, I was saying, okay, so what is, what is the, the follow-up of that? Uh, and Jesus as sanctuary is definitely, for me, the follow-up. In one sentence, we can say that Jesus is fleeing, and therefore we should receive Jesus as a refugee. But then when we are fleeing... Jesus is also the sanctuary to which we come to. So Jesus for me is the embrace, the divine encounter that we have in community with people we love, with people who come to love us, uh, with people who understand us, with people who are patient with us. So I, I do think that Jesus as sanctuary captures that image of us being Christ unto others or others being Christ unto us. So in your article, Elray, um, maybe we can talk about this as a way to expand this idea of Jesus as embrace. You had a faith transition, and you refer to it as your sacred immigration, which caught my attention. So can you tell us why you chose that phrase, why you refer to your uh, faith journey that way, and tell us a little bit about that journey? So initially, I, I mean, one of the things that I do say is being a spiritual refugee. And 
when I say that, it's really, it's really a, a um, it sounds like a loaded word. Uh, that it's it's a concept that we don't really and perhaps uh, minimizes the reality of the uh, of what it means to be a refugee in the world today, and that's not how I meant it. So uh, so what I'm trying to say is that as an LGBT person, as a gay person, uh, I found myself in my own previous religion with difficulties. Uh, it was difficult to be who I was. It was difficult to be open about my identity, uh, about my relationship. And, um, and that difficulty kind of culminated at the point when I w wanted to get married. I had to leave my religion. I have to leave Mormonism. And uh, I think that was a, a, a difficult period in my life. And it's so sad that ultimately when you're, you're getting married, it's the, it's the most wonderful time of your life, right? And, and it comes with so much pain, or it came at least with so much difficulty at the time. I remember we were in D.C. at the time. So that was in 2005, uh, 2006. I was studying and uh, a, a master's degree. And I remember going to... Uh, an LDS church meeting where we were going to sustain or help kind of be supportive to a gay member who was coming out to his ward at the time. And uh, when he had done that, he was excommunicated from, uh, from his church. And we, uh, my husband and I, well, at the time we were just engaged, but uh, we uh, we went and visited him, and it was a painful visit. I saw how distraught the, the this young man was, how hurt he was, and and I we came out from that, and I said, I cannot be member of an organization that is doing this to people. I cannot longer be supportive of an organization that is doing this to people. And realizing that I was the same. I was the I was the one who had been through exactly similar hurt. So what happened ultimately then is that we left the LDS church. Um, Anton was also a, a member at the time, and we left and um, uh, and we got married. And uh, it took a few years before I came to the feeling of missing community being kind of having lost friends, having lost some relationships that were dear to me, I felt the need to find community, uh, a new community, something that would replace some of the old relationships that uh, I had lost. I tried political organization at one point, and that was interesting. And, uh, you know, with the Greens in Norway, that was fascinating. I, I, I mean, I learned so much from that period. And then also um, discovered uh, Community of Christ online. And that Community of Christ had, at the time, a small congregation in Oslo, actually 10 minutes away from where I lived. Uh, so it was only, all I have to do was to just 
get out the door, walk for 10 minutes. It wasn't 10 minutes drive, it was 10 minutes walk. And in Oslo, that's incredible. And um, um, walked over to the, to, to the house of, uh, of Kerstin Jesker and um, knocked on the door. She was not in, but Eric was. And, and since then they took me in, yeah. In your um, article, you talk a little bit about your experience in finding this group of people in Oslo that were Community of Christ. And you shared that you felt welcomed and included by them. Um, how was that welcome and inclusion expressed? What, what happened that allowed you to feel like you had safe harbor here with this small group of people? So it's kind of incredible when you think of it because it was in 2010 or 2009. So it was still early in terms of DNC 164. If DNC 64 had even come out at the time or was about to come out. And I think, I can't remember exactly how it all went, you know, chronologically, but at one point I do think Kerstin kind of said, and there are some good news. You mm. saw the you saw the Doctrine and Covenants 164. And uh, so so there was there was already, I think, an understanding in that little group of four people that being gay was not a problem. And I came with a lot of enthusiasm about the restoration heritage uh, and uh, was uh, ecstatic to know that revelation was still part of the tradition, continuing revelation, uh, that uh, some of the distinctives that I believed in were still very much there, that it was a peace church. So, so yeah, this was, I think doc doctrinally or kind of theologically, I was kind of, I felt very quickly at home, but also the, the four people who were there just treated me like somebody else. I mean, just like anybody else in the group. They didn't try to be special towards me, or, but they didn't try to be uh, different. There was, I was just treated like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And just being treated like everyone else is somehow perhaps the greatest sign of friendship mm -hmm. in a small community of five, four or five people that you get just, we just treat you like you were part of the group. And that's very important when you come and join some <laughs> new church. <laughs> well, it, it showed a level of authentic relationship building with you. They weren't putting on uh, anything special to make you love them or treating you in any special way that showed that they were uh, loving you. It was simply a relationship developed. Yeah. That's lovely. So being treated like everyone else, being part of the group, being um, equal around the table is wonderful, but it also your experience with Community of Christ led to kind of a new insight that you talk about in your article. And that was that you developed a growing awareness that in Community of Christ, not everybody thought the same. Not everybody was on a journey to try to become unified in thought and action, but rather um, 
part of community of Christ is celebrating the differences that we have and understanding that we can be unified even with those differences. So how did that new insight impact you and your journey? So I think that's been a developing understanding over the last 10 years. I don't think at one point I went like, aha, you know, this is a aha experience. Or actually, no, I did have that. Uh, I had that at my first World Conference in 2013. Oh, well, share about that. Yeah. So I came to World Conference and uh, and uh, I was just asking people around, you know, the people who were traveling with me and, and others. And I was like, my first my first reaction was really, when are the prophets and the apostles going to talk? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, when are we going to be instructed? And... <laughs> And the, uh, the answer I got was, well, actually, the conversation is on the conference floor and people don't, you know, the leadership doesn't really speak that often or that much to the group. They facilitate the discussion. That was a very strange new concept to me. Uh, I had never really experienced that before or seen that and how that could play out. So, so this idea of common consent and trying to kind of, reach consensus to have debate and to be upset at each other in church on the conference floor that the Holy Spirit could also work through righteous anger, (laughs) 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 you know, and that, that, uh, and I think it was, um, it was one, the conversation was about uh, baptismal prayer I don't know if you, you were there. I remember that conversation, indeed, yeah. yes. Yes, and it was about uh, uh, masculine pronouns and the use mm-hmm. of those uh, and whether or not we could find uh, an alternative uh, prayer, baptismal prayer to consider. I don't think it passed, if I remember that correctly. It did not. But, no, but what did uh, happen was that uh, there was a sister who, stood up and rebuked pretty much everyone in the conference floor, uh, in the conference room, in the auditorium, for, for continuing uh, to use masculine pronouns in the conversation about whether or not we could have alternative pronouns. And I sunk in my sh- chair. I was like, oh, dear, how is that? Is, that, is it possible? Can we do that? Can we actually disagree and still go on in the conversation, you know? And it was, nobody, nobody blinked an eye, I think. I was the only one who sunk in my chair. <laughs> but obviously this was, this was something that was common, practiced, something new to me. And uh, that we were allowed to disagree and encouraged to speak up and to let our voice be heard when something was happening in the conference floor that we disagreed with. So that is that was a first experience. That was perhaps my aha experience about, oh, uh, we can actually be in disagreement and still love each other. Yeah, a true aspect of, of community, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I can understand um, the surprise at World Conference. My first World Conference um, I had some surprises as well. So I understand how that can happen. 
So I want to kind of jump forward just a little bit from that uh, experience of the four people in Oslo, your journey forward, your participation um, in World Conference and learning more about community of Christ and what it means to live that out as a disciple. But then you ended up in Brussels. So first, briefly, how'd you end up in Brussels? as we've just left you in Norway. And in Brussels, you describe your experience there as the only Community of Christ member in Belgium. And it was kind of comfortable in a peaceful, cozy kind of way, living out your discipleship there until something unexpected happened. So how'd you get to Brussels? And then take us from this kind of uh, comfortable, living out of discipleship to, oh my gosh. Yeah. My husband, the, the, the answer of how we got to, to Brussels is actually quite simple. My husband got a job that was slightly unexpected uh, and that moved both of us here. And the idea was that I was going to study full time. I was going to uh, perhaps volunteer full time for church, uh, we were, we were trying to see what was Elray going to be doing for the next, I think, three to six years, because that was a lot of time that we were going to be, you know, in, in Brussels. Uh, so so it, was, uh, it was new. We were trying new things uh, in terms of living in a city we hadn't been in before. So, so it, was, it was exciting. It was an exciting time. But as soon as we moved there, a few things happened uh, in terms of the, the, the city being confronted with terrorist attacks. And, and that also created some insecurity. However, uh, the disruption really came in terms of, I mean, let me say first that I didn't, I went from having a church once a month in Norway to just doing church when I felt the need for it, you know, online, trying to kind of create my own online community of some sort with people uh, around Europe who would need that. It was a lot of testing. It was a testing ground, I think. And uh, going to World Conference 2016 was going to give me new ideas about how to do that you know, discovering that other people in the U.S. and Canada had tested uh, this and, and tried it out, uh, these online communities. So we were going to try something similar. But the, the real disruption came when Joey, the Mission Center president, told me that there was a member in Brussels or a seeker in Brussels who was interested. Um, and it... There were, there were actually two seekers in Brussels. The first one was Colin and is not mentioned in the article uh, because Colin moved to the U.S. quickly after his baptism. But, uh, but that, that was a time where I was learning how to talk about the talk about church, talk about gospel topics uh, in a way that was um, 
you know, inviting without, without commitment, you know, it's kind of, it was, it was, uh, I was learning to establish church without it being, uh, strenuous. And by that, I don't know if, if you understand what I mean, but I, I did a one year missionary LDS missionary, uh, experience. I wondered if that's what you were struggling with trying to articulate here. Yeah. Yes. So I might as well just name it and just help people explain what, what that entails. Uh, and, and I had just been called as an elder in, in community of Christ. And I was, I was adamant. I said, it cannot be anything like my experience in Italy. If it becomes anything like my experience in Italy, I promise you, I will not be an elder. <laughs> so, so I was, I was adamant. It was just not going to be the same experience. Uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with the, the idea of having to do missionary work or anything of that sort. And, when and so Paul, to clarify for our community of Christ listeners who are thinking, I'm not sure what that means. LDS missionary work is very different than what we talk about in community of Christ. Yes, it's well, it's different. And yet there are some similarities, I would I would say, because we're still trying to establish relationships with people. Sure. But but the experience was very stressful for me as a Mormon missionary, because one, I was gay, two, I was in a different country, I was learning a new language. Uh, I felt I was, I was pushed, you know, there was a, there was a push for meeting, for meeting people, you had to knock on doors, etc, etc. Here in Community of Christ, we don't do that. We, if people contact us, we'll try our best to be a response to that person's needs. And I think, uh, and that was a, a difference, different approach. Uh, but when I was ordained, I remember being, I remember agreeing with the person who was going to ordain me that we, we needed to make sure that I didn't feel that, becoming an elder in community of Christ would have any, anything that would remind me of being an elder in the LDS church. So sorry about that, but that was, that was. No, I having visited with many people who served missions. I understand what you're, what you're talking about, but you, but you got presented with this opportunity with somebody in Brussels that you were to meet. So first Colin was kind of, uh, what we ended up doing with Colin was like we 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 had uh, coffee and orange juice and uh, on a Wednesday morning before work. So for him, it was just sitting and talking and and enjoying our, each other's company really and trying to figure things out together. Uh, as much as uh, I was. I was still learning and I, <laughs> I, I can't say that even after six years in the church that I knew uh, my community of Christ very well, because uh, I think what I had learned in community of Christ was the way we were more unofficial with each other, more uh, that our friendships needed to endure 
that uh, we try to be authentic with each other. Um, these were kind of new ways of, of being church. And that's what I kind of tried to say in my article, uh, that that was a new way for me to think about what it meant to be in a relationship with people. And this needed to kind of inform also our, our way of being together with Colin, who was also, uh, who also had an LDS background. So, uh, so trying to discover what does it mean to be community of Christ with two ex-Mormons sitting around the table, uh, reading through some of the material we had and, and really just trying to discover what it means to be us in a different context religious context was uh, difficult enough and then uh the mission center president so joey contacted me and said uh el ray uh we have a a congolese seeker from the drc who is looking into community of christ and would like to speak to a representative and you are the only representative we have in belgium and you both live in Brussels, would you be willing to talk to him? And I was very apprehensive about that. I mean, the, again, let me explain that I, I started feeling comfortable in the way Community of Christ uh, was um, becoming for me. Mm -hmm. This, uh, the warm embrace that we can speak about at, the, at first uh, that we spoke about at first is is it became truly that you know safe space mm -hmm. uh, and safe space is important when you're kind of exploring a, a, a new religion a new faith community but I do think that the my ordination and uh, had something to do with it that God had perhaps another idea about what, uh, what needed to happen, that I was not going to stay on my own in Brussels and that something else was in wait. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a difficult time because I, I really didn't want to disrupt anything. I was very happy with how things were, mm -hmm. but you know, one thing led to another, and suddenly I found myself uh, meeting Method at his at his home, and and meeting his family and his kids, two small kids, and two older kids, and two older kids again. So it was a big family, and luckily I I came from a big family, so it was, that was not a big shock to me. Uh, but what I was most afraid of was whether or not they would accept me for who I was. And, and I, we needed to speak about the elephant in the room very quickly so that that wouldn't become a problem later. And I do think that this has been a topic for us in Community of Christ uh, in Brussels, but not a, not a difficult topic for me or Method or some of the new friends that I made uh, in the Congolese refugee community here. But it, it, I see that what they ended up having to do was always having to potentially defend me to others. Um, 
And that is a tall task to ask for people who are just discovering a new faith community. So what I can say a bit about that is also that I do think that we spoke, when we spoke about these things, it was always that they didn't feel they had any other place to go either. And, and we had to negotiate this new space between us uh, of what it meant to be community of Christ in Brussels, in Belgium, with a diverse group of people. Yeah. Very diverse. Diverse backgrounds, understandings, perspectives. Yeah, culture. So, but, that, so but, but having said that, that's what helped me understand where they were coming from. Luckily, I mean, my background is in peace studies. I did study the Congo for a couple of, uh, you know, during my undergraduate degree. So I kind of had an idea of what, where they were coming from and what some of the, the challenges they had experienced. I did work for Norwegian Church Aid, which is a development organization uh, in Norway for eight years uh, with uh, Burundi and uh, Congo uh, and uh, Eastern Africa and some of the, the places that, uh, that were familiar to them. I had lived a year in Burundi where they had been refugees uh, while working for the United Nations. So my background was ultimately very well, I was very well prepared for this particular meeting, uh, for this particular encounter. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like the things that I was afraid of were in me. They were, they were my fears based on an understanding of the context and the, the background that they had, but it was still my fear. And how do we overcome fear when we try to establish Zion? And how did you overcome that fear, Elroy? I think there was a lot of prayer, um, a lot of understanding that we were in the same boat, mm-hmm. that uh, my own sacred immigration, immigration led me to understand what it meant to be a refugee in spite of my experience not being at all like theirs. Um, So I have a lot of respect for what they've been through. And when, and when we, when we speak about these experiences, those are the, the very sacred moments in a relationship formation when we go beyond what it means to be friends, we become trusted friends because we trust each other with each other's stories. And to trust each other with each other's stories is a big step in the formation of sacred community. So you've um, stepped out of what was becoming quite comfortable for you and you have uh, entered into ministry as an elder. You've met new people and built community and relationship with them. So what, um, what happened from that? So Method was excited, ultimately became very excited about. I mean, we've had him on Project Zion already, and we've heard some of his stories. 
and Method got very excited about Community of Christ and and uh, wanted to tell everyone. And I think he also had a Mormon background, so so he was also he thought. <laughs> I think that he thought that the job was to get as much as many people as possible enlisted. Uh, and I kept on trying to put on the brakes and saying that was not necessary. And really, we don't want to disrupt what we have going on for ourselves here, you know. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, and really, yeah, there was exactly this. Like my experience in Community of Christ is that there is four people maximum who meet. We don't have to. We don't have to be a big group, you know. Uh, four is good. Yeah. Good. So so let's not let's not open the doors wide and bring people in. You know, we can open them slightly so that people can have a look and feel, is this okay for me? And then get in, right? So so that those were kind of some of the the I think the cultural differences that we tried to negotiate at the at the beginning. And through him I met uh several others. Uh, including Roger, who I speak about in this article. So let's talk about uh, that experience because uh, building community means building community uh, sometimes with people who are really hurting. Me included. Which, which is where this took you. Yeah. 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 You, you re- had to revisit some of that. And so what happened? Well, um, I think that what happened, uh, I remember us visiting a brother then who had also been at one of our meetings and, uh, and this was Roger and we were, we went to his place and he trusted us very quickly with his story, which was both daunting and difficult to deal with. You know, he was alone lived in a small place and and felt very hurt about the things that had transpired in his life. And I had no idea what to do. I, I really felt completely hopeless and powerless. And that's when sacrament sometimes comes in the power of sacrament in terms of transformational power. Joey offered him a blessing. We prayed for him and with him. And uh, I put my hand on his shoulder and we had a very special sacred moment of reflection and hope that bound us together. Um, and i and it's been it's been amazing to see how people have then grown into what it means to be community of christ uh sometimes that growth has been difficult and painful and strange you know i mean people kind of ask themselves what am i doing here are these people really the friends that i want to have you know i mean there's been a lot of questioning, right, uh, in the process of creating sacred community. But we had 
people come in, support the efforts that we were trying to do. So Sandy Gamay and Andrew Bolton came and, and spoke about peace, about how to build peace in communities, how to uh, manage interpersonal relationships, all, all things very helpful uh, to a new group that was starting off. Who, it's not that they knew, that, I mean, they had come to know each other as well. So these were new people, they were new people to each other. So, so it was, it was very difficult for me to get a sense as well of what was happening in the group and the dynamics in the group, but it was fascinating. And we got, uh, um, Kailani brother Kailani from, uh, French Polynesia to come and help because we had a lot of people asking us about community of Christ. Uh, so the work that Roger and Method were doing in terms of spreading the news was, was really reaching out and, and people were curious. Uh, what is this? Uh, what, what is this community, this new faith uh, that we're trying to establish in Brussels? And I, to this day, I think that we've heard from the, the testimonies of, uh, of new people who are joining at this time who said, we thought it was a joke three years ago that it would never happen, that this thing would never fly. Three years later, we're still at it. And we are seven, eight people who still go strong, you know, who still want this. It's, it's, it, perhaps I've done it too much after, according to the Norwegian model, you know, that we are now in the COVID season, we are, um, we are meeting only twice a month online. But I do think that there is something special now about what's happening in our group that has cemented the relationships, consolidated the relationships. Uh, sometimes even moments of crisis can be informational about the next steps to take. And all of that happens in community or in sanctuary, if we talk about uh, the title of your article. Yes. yes. It, 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 happens, it happens in the embraces. And I think that I think now COVID is, is definitely making this difficult. We don't get the embraces anymore, uh, yeah. the physical embraces. And, and I think a lot of us are missing that. Yeah. Absolutely. So Elray, um, I love your description of you trying to keep that door just cracked open a little bit with, <laughs> and not too sure where everyone else in their tenacity was on the other side of the door, pulling it from you and opening it. And that's really what happened. The door opened uh, in, in Belgium. And so um, not only did your group expand, your ministry expanded. We talked uh, earlier before we began recording. You're a pastor now um, and loving people in community in Belgium. And also um, you co-founded this organization, uh, Co-Citizens. All of this has transpired kind of at the same time. Can you talk about those two things? So uh, actually what happened first was the... the uh co-citizens you know we wanted a project we wanted something that would would 
make the mission initiatives actually real for us in in community in Brussels. Uh, so we quickly started talking about the Brussels project or some some form of project where that that would happen here uh, with the people who were here, and uh, and I think the vision is still for many of us in the group that we would have a community resource center at some point, uh, something that can serve as a church building that can serve uh, the community. Uh, that can serve especially the refugee community in Brussels. So that's still our hope, that long-term hope, and now I'm starting to realize with, with the challenges that we've had, that we can create something of that sort in the years to come. But there are many steps on the way to do something of that sort. And I think it's to continue to abolish poverty within the group Uh, so that Im implies tailoring projects. It implies micro lending projects. It implies teaching the kids, you know, so homeschooling. So these are now some of the projects we are doing or will be doing as soon as COVID permits us to be in close contact with each other again. So, so meanwhile, what we are actually doing now is uh, we've asked three of our members to interpret or translate the church material, uh, the first three courses in terms of, of water and spirit, ministry of the disciple, and introduction to priesthood for in, into Swahili. Because the challenge is that even though people speak French and I speak French, I don't speak Swahili, and most of the people in the family speak Swahili. So the challenge is really to get the message across uh, and to enable people to themselves know what this community is all about. Um, so we're using, uh, you know, so we're working now with three of our members to create that kind of material. It's exciting. It's an exciting uh, period to to be in for the community because we are now going deeper into the material and trying to understand what this all entails. Yeah. So I'm, I'm smiling because I'm thinking about um, Acts 2 and I'm thinking about this small community in Brussels and translating material into Swahili is uh, kind of living out the restoration principle, isn't it, of restoring early church experience and how God's spirit works in these small communities. And Absolutely. It's, it's kind of funny because I've done, the, I've done, I've done a reflection this, this week for something I'm, I'll be saying on Sunday, but that we are, I don't think we are called to restore primitive Christianity anymore or an imagined primitive Christianity anymore. Mm -hmm. I think we've come to be asked, we've been asked to embody Christ, God shalom yeah. into the world. Uh, and that is what I mean by Jesus as sanctuary. It's a, it's like creating those sanctuaries, those places, those embraces, those encounters between people that make up a sacred community and that embody what it means to be Christ in the world 
today, not 2000 years ago, not 200 years ago, but today. And now the challenges are really the following. I mean, it's, it's, we have diverse communities living in the same city, people who are trying to make ends meet in difficult, very difficult times. Um, but at the same time, there is support to get. Uh, some of us have more and have, so we can give and share. Um, and uh, an encouraging generosity, even within a group that doesn't have that very much, reminds me a bit of what the father-in-law of Moses sang in The Prince of Egypt. When, uh, when all you have is nothing, there's a lot to go around. And that kind of is a bit the spirit that we have in our group at the moment. I think that Roger now has his family here. They arrived the day before the, COVID, the first COVID lockdown. Oh gosh. And they had no place to go and live. So they ended up living with Method's family. Uh, so suddenly they went from being six people in the house to 11. And what I, I mean, the reason I'm just mentioning that is to talk one about the generosity that people, people caught the generosity principle. They caught the vision of that. And it was not something I had to teach them. It's something I learned. Um, and uh, that you can be... You can go beyond what you think is necessary. And, and I know some of our members have done that in the process in the last few months, have really gone beyond what is necessary and what is asked for or required. But they have caught the vision themselves of what it means to be act two or act four. And um, so I'm learning. I'm learning a lot from this process. Earlier, you said there was a realization you're in, you're all in this together. You're all in the same boat. And it sounds like uh, that boat gets bigger and bigger with uh, what's taking place. I wanted to ask you, um, Elray, this, this conversation we've had has been uh, lovely in illustrating what it's like to have one's comfort disrupted and to uh, grow in ways you didn't imagine. What would you say to folks who are listening, who are nervous about their own sanctuary or their own safe space in community of Christ being disrupted? I think cracking the door open is perhaps the, the way to go about it. I mean, like I said, you know, uh, it's, it's okay to be apprehensive. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to um, be worried about one's own sanctuaries uh, being changed or transformed or going from one thing that was familiar. And I, you know, I've, I've talked to a few Community of Christ lifelong members about what it means to have Mormons coming in, ex-Mormons. You know, I don't think that, that that's a comfortable place to be for for this tradition and there are some things that are probably grounded i mean that there is reason to be 
to be a bit apprehensive. There's always going to be reasons to be apprehensive of certain things. But the culture of community of Christ is very strong. There is something very um, that I've come to learn in the last 10 years that has really transformed me. Uh, it's a deep culture. We are heavily invested in our relationships. We're heavily invested in, in what it means to be community. And I think that is where we can be sure that it might change a little. It might because of the people who come in, but it's, it's worth doing it. It's worth engaging in those relationships uh, and engaging it with the idea that we want to maintain the, what it means to be community of Christ. You know, that, that idea of who community of Christ is and is becoming, you know, is, is, uh, is, uh, is good enough, uh, is safe enough. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm confident that good things will happen from in the future as we open the doors slightly. And, and I still see everybody on the other side of the door in your small group trying to get you to open it just a little. So Elray, first, thanks for sharing this um, with us. I want to point people again to your article, Jesus as Sanctuary, and they can learn more about some of the um, incidents and, and people that you've shared with us today. But this has helped us get more of an understanding of where, where that writing came from. Um, for you. And I thank you for opening yourself up to us today in, uh, in sharing your story a little bit more. But as we bring our conversation to a close um, and think about what really does it mean to move towards Jesus, the peaceful one, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? Yeah, so I do, I do mention two scriptures in this article, and I just want to quote a bit on the uh, quote from them and read them because they speak to they speak so well to what we what we've discussed. Uh, so the first is Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And uh, for me, knocking on my first door to community of Christ to now having people knock on mine um, is speaks a lot about our responsibility as members in community of Christ to open the door. Like I said, I mean, it was like, even if it's only slightly and crack it open because we're not sure about who's on the other side, um, being willing to engage in that relationship and trying to find out what people's stories are might transform us. And then being willing, like Jesus, when the, when the woman who had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years tried to find out, you know, perhaps if I touch his robe, um, 
But when Jesus says, who touches my clothes or who touched my clothes and had sensed that there was power that had gone out of him, then I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking that there is that, that little encounter. It's not even an embrace, but it's sufficient to know that Jesus serves as sanctuary for us, that healing is possible. It might not be physical healing like we've expected since we, if we take the scripture literally, but, but there is a healing that takes place. There is something that is unusual about encountering Jesus in those embraces, in those, perhaps if I just touch the clothes, I might be healed. Elway, thank you again um, for sharing with us Jesus as sanctuary, where healing and transformation uh, take place. And thank you for sharing it through your own story. For our listeners, this is Project Zion Podcast. I'm Karen Peter, and we've been visiting with Elroy Henriksen, who lives in Belgium. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. Dave Hines